Hey everyone, you're listening to the MLEPC podcast. Thank you for joining us. The podcast features every previous Sunday's sermon and plenty of other cool content like interviews and mini-series. Please remember to share our content and subscribe to our channel so you can stay up to date with everything that we create. You can find out more about what's happening at the church by visiting our website at mlepc.org or checking us out on our social media. Once again, we thank you for tuning in to the Emily PC podcast, and we hope to see you at an event soon. Well, today we are looking at the, as Pastor Steve mentioned, the 16th chapter of the, the Gospel of John, and we're especially focusing on the role of the Holy Spirit. Um, often evangelicals sort of think about the Father and the Son and yeah, the Holy Spirit is over there. <laughs> but we don't really know what to do with the Holy Spirit. One of my professors in seminary said, it's not two old guys and a bird. <laughs> we, we need to think of, of the Holy Spirit as who, as a person. And we're going to be digging into that. First, a prophecy from the, the prophet Jeremiah. In chapter 31, he foretells what the Holy Spirit is going to do. This is Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34. The days are coming, declares the Lord. When I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah, it will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. And turning then to uh, John 16, this is starting with verse 5. Now I am going to, this is Jesus speaking to his disciples, now I am going to, to him who sent me to the Father, None of you ask me, where are you going? Rather, you are filled with grief because I have said these things. But very truly, I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin because the, the people do not believe in me about righteousness because I am going to the Father where you can see me no longer, and about judgment because the prince of this world now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So if you had a last speech to give someone, the last bit of advice at the end of your life, what would that be? What would you want to tell them? It, it, you often want to, would want to reassure, to tell them you love them. It's going to be okay. Jesus, in this last speech, 
as he is, he's, he's got this speech in chapter 16, he's got a really long prayer in chapter 17, and then he gets arrested and it's straight to the cross from there. This is the last time he gets to give advice and comfort and calling to the, his disciples. These people are about to go through something just more horrendous than they even know at this moment. But he wants to remind them that he is present. And when he personally is not present, there will be another present, the Holy Spirit, who will be with them. He says some pretty harsh things. He says, basically, I'm leaving. People are going to hate you. But you need to tell them about me. It's like, oh, good. <laughs> he, he literally tells them at the beginning of 16, people are going to kill you and think that they're doing the right thing. But trust me, God is, is leading. God is the ultimate judge. He's the ultimate one who is in control, even in the midst of your persecution. And at the very end of this whole speech, he caps it with, with the verse that you all probably have heard before. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Imagine what the disciples must have thought at that moment. Like, wait, what? Like, we're going to be persecuted and killed? Like, why does this have to be so hard? I thought you were God. I thought you were in charge of everything. But Jesus is saying, you don't understand it now. And, and actually, all of this stuff is more than you can even imagine at this moment. But I'm sending the Holy Spirit to you, and the Holy Spirit will reveal all of these things to you. He will make it make sense. As we read the Gospel of John over the last few months, we have seen John often say, Jesus said this, but we didn't understand it in the moment. That is because the Holy Spirit later helped John make sense of what Jesus said. He brought those things to, back to John's memory and then showed him what it really meant. So the Holy Spirit is at work even in the book of John, and especially we see it then, the, the, the Holy Spirit involved in, in Acts and throughout Paul's letters and beyond. So as, as, as Jesus is, is talking to them, he's saying, I've waited to tell you this stuff until now. You couldn't handle it before, but now you need to know. I am about to leave you. And of course, they all were several times in the last two chapters. They're like, wait a minute, where are you going? What's going on? And they're, they're grieved because Jesus keeps saying, I am about to leave. And they're, they're just scared and stunned and don't really know what to make of it at all. But Jesus says, I did not tell you this from the beginning because I was with you, but now I'm going to him who sent me. I, Jesus, if he had told them from the beginning, come and follow me, by the way, I have to die. That would not exactly compel you to follow him. But it was only after they had been with him for three years, only after they had walked dusty roads and eaten sparse meals and, and seen miracles and transformations, that is when they start to, to, started to have the foundation so that they would understand what Jesus was saying, that they would be able to trust even in the midst of these hard things. When, when Jesus says, I could not tell you these things at the very beginning of chapter 16, uh, what's he talking about? He's talking about his departure, his, his leaving, you know, through death on the cross. 
But he's also talking about his departure from the earth, that I will come back. I will come back in the second coming. But in the meantime, you have a mission. So he's talking about his departure. He's talking about their mission, and he's talking about the persecution and the hatred from the, from the world. He is saying, be ready, brace yourself. This is going to happen, but don't worry. I have overcome the world. So why should we not worry? Jesus isn't going, you know, good luck. It's, I'm sorry, I just went to Princess Bride. My, my brain often goes to movies but, but where Miracle Max is like, have fun storming the castle. Think it'll work? It'll take a miracle. <laughs> you know, Jesus doesn't do that. He, he doesn't just send them off, you know, with a wish for good luck. Remember what I said over the last three years. He says, I am sending you an advocate. I am sending you an advocate, the Holy Spirit, who will be with you and lead you and teach you, lead you into all truth. What he is saying is that persecution is coming and you can't do this without supernatural help. You can't do this without supernatural help. Often people say that we Christians can be like, we come to church on Sunday mornings, we praise God, we, we, we declare that God is good and real and true, and then we go through the rest of the week as functional atheists. Do we ask God for help through the week? Sometimes when we're desperate, yes, but we go through our life just, just doing the motions, like going through, going to work, going to school, doing the regular things. Do we think that we need supernatural help? Jesus is reminding them that the Holy Spirit is going to be there and he will be the one to make it possible for them to endure what they have to endure and to proclaim the good news of the church. The Holy Spirit is going to come and transform their lives and the lives of everyone else around them. The Holy Spirit is the supernatural help that we all need every single day. And in chapter 14, um, th there's an element that the Holy Spirit is doing. It says in chapter 14, uh, verse 26, the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything that I have said. Again, the, John himself is living proof of this. He is teaching John what, what Jesus said and not just what he said, but what he meant as he wrote this book. We see that, that uh, even in the, the Apostle Paul, Jesus is, is being revealed to him through the Holy Spirit, even though he never got to meet Jesus face to face. We see the Holy Spirit leading us into all truth. But in chapter 16, there's a whole other job for the Holy Spirit. It is one of con conviction. I've heard the difference between the Holy Spirit and Satan. That, that, that Satan is often called the accuser of the brethren. Satan condemns. He has condemnation, whereas the Holy Spirit convicts. One of those leads you closer to God. One of, you, one of them drives you away from everyone else. It, it, that Satan wants to heap shame on you, a fear of failure, a rejection. Whereas the Holy Spirit, when he convicts, he wants to draw us closer to the Lord. We see how we failed and we, we are drawn to God for help and for transformation. So it says here that the Holy Spirit, um, when he comes, he will prove the world to be raw, in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. Sin and righteousness and judgment. As 
as Pastor Steve was just saying, the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. It, he, he teaches us what righteousness looks like. And he promises judgment, judgment in, in what is good and right and true and what is not good, what is not of God. He doesn't only do that to us, he does it to the rest of the world as well. He displays what sin is. And, and here he makes clear that sin is, it says in verse 9, about sin because people do not believe in me. Sin is essentially, originally, about unbelief. Adam and Eve in the garden, they, they, they believed that God provided all these things for, for, for them. But then the enemy comes along and says, you know, did God really say... And they don't believe what God said was good. They don't, didn't believe that God meant for good the, the prohibition to not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They didn't believe, and therefore they fell. And sin, is, the world is saying, hey, try this. It feels great for about a minute and a half. It, sin just leads us astray because we're not believing that God is right and true and good. I've shared with you before that time that I was whining at God and asking him for something. And I said, sort of, you know, rolled my eyes at him and said, but thy will be done. <laughs> and God said, why do you always believe that my will is bad? God's will is good and we need to believe that God's will is good. And, and by that belief, he will lead us in away from sin and into righteousness. Righteousness is something that the Holy Spirit reveals to what it looks like for us to, to live rightly, and it also is revealed to the world. What is righteous right now in our world? As we look at cancel culture just everywhere, there is sort of a standard of what righteousness is uh, in, uh, according to the world standards, but it becomes more and more uh, pulling people apart rather than joining people together. Cancel culture doesn't have grace in it. It doesn't have a chance to, for forgiveness and love. It doesn't have a chance for reconciliation. But righteousness, true righteousness of God is all about reconciliation. The, the, the Hebrew has a, a sense of, of being right-wised, of being turned around to, to turn to face God in the right way. He wants to restore that relationship. Imagine if God lived by cancel culture. You're out, you're out. Boy, did you mess up. You're out. That's not who God is. He, he wants to right-wise us. He wants to right-wise the whole world back into re relationship with him. And he calls us to, to be ministers of reconciliation to help the world right-wise. And that can only be done through the power of the Holy Spirit. And then finally, he talks about judgment. We see G Jesus being falsely judged. He's not for the institution of Judaism, therefore he must die. And everyone is, is proud of themselves for killing Jesus, but they have completely missed the mark. But God is the one who will rightly judge. He is the one who will see clearly what is good and what is evil. He is the one who will separate the wheat from the chaff. And if it is of Jesus and in Jesus and pointing to Jesus, it is good. And if it is pulling people away from Jesus, then it will, it will be burned up in fire. It will not be worth living, but the, the things that are of Christ will be of eternal value. 
Jesus warns them that if you follow this path of, of a sin-free life or, or, or life leading towards sinlessness, if we, if we live a life of righteousness, if we live a right, life of right judgment, then God will, the world will hate you, but God will see that you are blessing and he will bless you. So it, the world will reject everything that we say. Have you ever had an experience, this happens to pastors fairly often, where you, you, you say that you're a Christian and all of a sudden people apologize for swearing. <laughs> That's happened to me before, like they find out what I do and they immediately feel guilty. And I'm like, I, I, you don't need to feel guilty, you know, you don't worry about it. But it, it's funny how the, it's like, it's not that I was condemning them, but that the Holy Spirit suddenly woke them up to a conviction. It's interesting how often that happens. I have a friend that decided that for the first month of this year, he's a pastor in California, and he felt like he wasn't driving like a Christian. He wasn't, he wasn't treating people necessarily like a Christian when they didn't know who he was. And so he decided to wear a clergy collar for the entire month of, of January. He's Presbyterian. We don't usually wear clergy collars unless it's the occasion of uh, is, is right for it. But he felt like he was wearing a big badge, like, okay, you are, you know, go going to be out in public as a pastor. And he said it was interesting, the, the responses he got from people, some of them were mad at him, some, you know, almost not spat in his face, but treated him like anathema. Others would come up to him, Presbyterian, and they would go, Father, can I talk to you? Can you pray for me? <laughs> And, and there was a sense of, of the Holy Spirit at work. They, people recognize that. People still understand that the Holy Spirit is out there, is, is convicting of sin, even when they don't believe in God. It's interesting how that, that core, that divine spark in us, still resonates with the Holy Spirit, even when people don't believe. But this call is, is a call to grace. It's a call to reconciliation. And it's a call to trust that the Holy Spirit will lead and will guide. One of the things it says in, in, in verse 12, I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the Holy Spirit, comes, he will guide you into all truth. Think about that story when the Apostle Peter, after Jesus has died and risen and, and returned to heaven, Peter is in the city of Joppa and he's praying. And he is sent for by, by somebody who had great power in the Roman world. And he goes and he meets with them and they, they repent and believe in Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit falls on them. And, and then Peter's called back to the gathering of all the disciples and they're like, what are you doing, Peter? And Peter says, the Holy Spirit showed up. They did not believe that Gentiles could be Christ followers, but then the Holy Spirit showed up and they realized that this was of God. The Holy Spirit was leading them into all truth, into a truth that they didn't even see. The Holy Spirit can show up in crazy ways. I mean, like Paul being knocked down on the road to Damascus, they never would have chosen Paul as the, the, the greatest witness to Jesus in the, in the Roman world. And yet the Holy Spirit was able to work and transform his life and change him forever. The Holy Spirit was still at work and is still at work revealing truth to us, helping us understand what's going on, helping us understand what we need to do. 
If we trust him, if we, if we follow his leading, he is the supernatural help that we need. It's, it's interesting to think about what we can do without supernatural help versus what we can do only with supernatural help. There are things that we can do. Um, you know, we, we, can, we can love people that have exactly the same beliefs that we do. People who look like us have the same skin color. That's not hard. Jesus says, you know, you've, you've heard it said, <laughs> you can love your friends, but I say to you, love your enemies. And we, we can, it's easy to love people of our own beliefs. It's easy, other than days like today, to show up at church, to, to give an offering, to do the church things. It, it's even sometimes easy to talk about the gospel. And it's easy to be busy for Jesus without the Holy Spirit. But we need the Holy Spirit to actually make an impact. Things that you can't do without supernatural help, love somebody who is different from you. Not only loving somebody who is different of a different tribe and nation, somebody who is from a different socioeconomic background or a different country, but even loving people who persecute you. Love them, bless, and do not curse. That takes supernatural power. To be able to pray for Russians and Ukrainians, that takes supernatural power. God is able to transform even those who feel like the enemy of the church, like the Apostle Paul. That takes supernatural power. To, to love someone who is different from you, to, to love them well enough, to share the gospel with them, and trust that the Holy Spirit is the one who puts that divine spark in them. We can be faithful to share the gospel, but if we're not sharing it in love, and if we're not trusting the Holy Spirit to, to awaken them, we, we can't do that without him. We can't win a thousand souls for Christ without supernatural help. Holy Spirit is who wakens them up to, to who Jesus Christ is. We, one that's really hard for me, that how many of you are very, very quick to judge people? Like instantly you make a decision, this must be like what this person is like. And I have been wrong so many times. The Holy Spirit is the one who convicts their hearts. We aren't the ones to go, boy, you need to clean up. I love the Billy Graham quote that he said, my job is to catch the fish, Jesus cleans them. <laughs> and boy, do we want to go, okay, let me clean that fish up before we catch it. But that's not how it works. We have to trust that the Holy Spirit will be at work in that person, even as the Holy Spirit is at work in us as well. I am sure people look at every single one of us and goes, wow, you need to clean yourself up. <laughs> But thanks be to God, the Holy Spirit is at work. One of my friends recently posted a, a quote from uh, Bonhoeffer on, on Facebook. And it, it said, you know, the bad news is that the church is full of sinners. Even worse news, the past, that your pastor is a sinner too. <laughs> but thanks be to God, through the Holy Spirit, he is the one who is at work within us, convicting us of sin and transforming us so that we can be in right relationship with each other. Through the Holy Spirit and only with the Holy Spirit, we can turn busyness for God into impact for God. 
Sometimes busyness is a distraction from the, the emptiness of our lives. It looks good to stay busy, and it's, it's like a proof of, of, of worth in our society these days. How tired are you? How busy are you? How stressed are you? How, how overscheduled are you? But the Holy Spirit brings peace and brings great impact out of small things. Hey, Jeremiah says, do not despise the day of small beginnings. The Holy Spirit can take small, quiet, faithful prayers and transform the world. The Holy Spirit can take hidden, small acts of kindness and grace and completely change somebody's life. The Holy Spirit lets us be able to work on God's time and with the important things that are to God, not the things that are important to humans. We tend to judge by the outside. God judges by the heart. And he wants to say, trust me, trust me, and I will make your work multiply in, in ways you can't imagine, but you can't do it by, by making it look like you're, you're busy and having an impact for the kingdom. It has to start with the Holy Spirit. It has to start by trusting him. As, as Jesus is then saying goodbye to his disciples, he reminds them of, the, of a story of, he says, like a woman in childbirth. She is overcome with the pain of that in the moment. But when she has that child, she will be filled with joy. And she'll forget what just happened. She'll forget the pain. Many of you still remember some of it, but, but the idea is that the child becomes worth, makes everything worth it. As we seek the Lord, as we, as we see him going away, as we suffer persecution and different things, we need to remember that these are the pains of childbirth. But Jesus Christ is the ultimate grace, the ultimate glory, and we can have great joy in the midst of all of that. Jesus says, in a little while you will, will see me lo no longer, but, and in this world you will have trouble, but take heart for I have overcome the world. As we, as we turn to the Lord, as we know that these things are hard, as we get sometimes overwhelmed with the persecution or the struggles or the difficulties, we can take heart because this is temporary. But the Holy Spirit is forever. He is eternally Father, Son, and Holy Spirit with us even to the end of the age. It is with great joy that we can welcome him, that we can take heart, that we can see that God is leading us. It is through the supernatural indwelling of the Holy Spirit that our lives can be transformed, that not only our lives, this church, this community, this, this city can be transformed by the power of God. We continue to pray for a revival. We can't make revival happen with our human efforts, but with the Holy Spirit, all things are possible. That is our prayer. Take heart. Jesus Christ has overcome the world. He brings us joy, and he is able to do immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine. Hi, this is Pastor Carolyn. Thanks so much for joining us today. If you'd like to find out more about our church, you can check out our website at mlepc.org, and be sure to subscribe so you don't miss a podcast. Have a blessed day.